Hi, dear listener. Welcome to the Young Changemakers podcast, an initiative from Global Changemakers. Your co-hosts Sophie, George, and William are very happy to have you join us today. Over this first season, we'll show you the incredible impact of youth and hopefully inspire you to take action too. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you're ready, let's go. What's up? What's up, you guys? Welcome to the YCM podcast. I'm so happy to let you know, guys, that this is the last episode of the season. And personally, I have to say that I feel like this season was such a success, you guys. I really enjoyed each interview um, my co-hosts made and the ones I made as well. Actually, I think we learned a lot, not only from the interviewees in terms of their background, their perspectives on issues that are going on that are going on around the world and, and many other things, but also we learned a lot about the interviewing and the podcast world, how to manage interviews, how to gain more confidence while interviewing other people and all of that. So we are very happy. All right, so I'm gonna move on to introducing the guy that I'm interviewing today. I'm interviewing a guy from the Philippines. His name is Mark Lozano. He's a 25-year-old guy selected as a global change maker back in 2016. He has recently transitioned from his role as an account manager at Facebook Singapore to join a startup. Mark is also the co-founder of One Million Lights Philippines, aka OML, a non-profit organization that provides clean, safe, and affordable solar lights to off-grid communities. With OML, they replace toxic, hazardous, and costly kerosene lamps with solar-powered lights that are clean, safe, and affordable, impacting the lives of over 80,000 Filipinos. At Facebook, he helped clients build their business by understanding their intricacies and the current market trends. But he also helped social entrepreneurs leverage the platform to create more impact. Back in 2012, OML made their first big partnership with Energizer the company that produces batteries. They launched a project that aimed to raise the awareness of the need for safe and efficient lighting in the Philippines to replace kerosene lamps. In addition, the use of kerosene lamps can cause fires inside homes and respiratory illnesses, which is one of the biggest uh, problems here, as the fumes are equivalent to smoking two packs of six a day. So Mark also mentioned that if there's a newborn in the house and you know the family is using a kerosene lamp, the newborn is smoking two packs of six a day. So that's really a big problem. The initiative provided over 3,000 households across the Philippines with access to solar lights. So guys, I really hope you enjoyed this interview, the last of the first season. Okay, Mark, welcome to the YCM podcast. It's very nice to have you here. Hey, man, yeah, it's awesome to be here. When you reached out a few weeks ago, I was just so excited for this. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah, definitely. It's really, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to be a very exciting interview. <laughs> well, I hope so, man. I hope <laughs> I'm not boring you today. <laughs> okay, so, you know, I was, I was reading on, on some place that you like to play instruments. How's that going? <laughs> it's pretty good, but it's frustrating for a lot of my friends because, well, I do, I play the guitar and the piano, but I don't actually remember know any songs. 
but how, how did you learn? I mean, with yeah, what so songs did you practice or, or what? Yeah, so I, I learned the guitar maybe about 12, 13 years ago, but it was really just a jam with my dad or, or like for the recitals I'd play before. So it was really funny because like I'd learn a song for a, for a play or something, but then forget it completely. So right now my my musical talents are relegated to like playing music in the background, like nice jazz pieces or nice blues things or contemporary things. And just oh, like cool. trying to figure out what sounds good on top of that. So yeah, whenever just, I jam with friends, yeah. Just to, you know, put the atmosphere in a better um, symphony. <laughs> right. Yeah, so so it's quite good. And hopefully this 2020 I'll learn a few pieces that are fun to play with other people. But for now, it's really just like figuring out what people are playing and then just like figuring out what I can do on top of that. <laughs> okay, thanks for sharing that. And now moving on uh, with the interview. Um, do you have any favorite quote you would like to share with us? Yeah, um, okay. So I, I don't want to plagiarize. Like I know this is from somewhere, but I'm actually not sure where. Um, it's something I heard in 2010, around the same time we started One Million Nights. And the quote goes something like, you cannot discover new oceans unless you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Cool. So I guess the main message here is really about taking risks. It's like you're not going to find anything new if you're not willing to leave your comfort zone. And a lot of this whole change making or this whole working to make a difference, it's full of different risks, right? Like, um, for one, you don't know if what you're going to do is successful. You don't know how people will think about you if you're doing this, what are people going to say? But more than that, it's really, you have to sacrifice a lot and you just have to have faith that things will be okay. And it's really just about like following that dream of what's out there that you can't see. I see. And I guess that resonates with me a lot in terms of what we do at One Million Nights. Um, so, <laughs> so many people may have heard on the introduction is that you started an NPO back in 2010 called One Million yes. Lights. And we know also that you're still running that NPO, right? Yes, somewhat. Okay. So, uh, I'm, so I'm the executive director of the organization now. I primarily support the organization with fundraising and partnership management. But we do have um, a volunteer team and now one full-time staff in the Philippines who run all our initiatives and essentially make everything possible. That's really cool. And what about the impact that you're causing nowadays? Um, could you please share a bit of that with us today? And yeah, what, definitely. What are like your short-term goals to accomplish in 2020? Ooh, okay, so those are good questions. So so far we've been in, we've done projects in over thirty-five different provinces. A lot of them off-grid communities that essentially don't have access to electricity or extremely hard to get to, and can be considered some of the most underserved communities in the Philippines. Um, with these thirty-five projects, we've impacted the lives of over eighty to ninety thousand people in the country. And it, it's really different. So sometimes we do typhoon relief or disaster relief, but we also do like more sustainable projects, which is where we want to focus on. So projects that will last for more than five years. So what we're doing now, I guess, for 2020 is our big goal is to actually start building microgrids or small power plants in these communities so that instead of just providing homes and solar lights, we can really improve the impact by essentially bringing energy to healthcare centers, to schools, 
through livelihood equipment, such as maybe small mills to increase productivity in the area. And the idea is that by doing this, we'll be able to really increase the ability for a community to uplift itself from poverty. Um, two other smaller goals that we have here, well, no, not smaller goals, but really important mm -hmm. goals that won't headline, but are definitely there, are really about building more partnerships with more and more NPOs in the Philippines and internationally, more corporate partnerships as well. But something that's really interesting as well is working with more high schools and primary schools in, in the Philippines and across the world. Wow, those are very ambitious goals, I, I can say. Well, yeah, that's a lot to accomplish in one year, that. but <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you're already a very recognizable NPO, I guess, um, across the Philippines. So yeah, hopefully you will do okay with all of that. Thank um, you, and hopefully GCM will support, well, GCM has been supporting us through all of this, and wow, it's, been, it's, really it's cool. been good so far, yeah. Cool, cool. And so that our listeners can know a bit about the Philippines. How many provinces are there in the Philippines? Yes, yeah, so Philippines, oh God, I hope I don't get this wrong, but we have over 70 provinces. If I'm not mistaken, 17. we have 72 provinces in the Philippines. Oh, you already helped with half of them. That, that's a lot, man. Congratulations. <laughs> and how do you measure like the impact? You, you said 80,000 people, right? Yeah. Oh, wait, sorry. Philippines has 81, 81 provinces. 81? So yeah, so good question. How do you measure impact? Um, initially, when we first started, because we were 16 years old, we really did it in terms of the number of lights we're giving out, right? So we thought that the more lights you give out, the more impact we have. And the idea is to reach a million lights, which we're nowhere close. But you realize later on that it's not really just about numbers. We look at it in terms of how are we actually impacting people and communities? And the three main areas that we see a lot of, you know, a lot of change making is really in terms of livelihood, health, education, income levels, quality of time in these communities. So what you look at is we'd want to do a study later on that's a lot more controlled. But right now we have to rely on more qualitative examples. So we look at how the schools perform and what kids are doing there. We talk to parents and teachers and ask, are your kids more motivated to study because they have a light at night? And we look at, and I guess one thing we do is we look at the ways that, we look at tests you can do for, for us to see communities are successful. Do you want an example? Do you have enough time? It's maybe a one Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Yeah, so for one of the first communities we had, we wanted to see like how impactful lights could have in communities. So instead of just making it, a survey afterwards to ask oh what's happening we decided to make it the type of thing where if this project is successful another project would launch what that means is that when you give solar power lights to a community we got the community to agree to some sort of sustainable fund so instead of spending let's say a dollar a week on gas they would they would contribute about 30 cents a week to a community fund and what we were able to see was that a year from then, they now had a farm which the community was able to build using the funds they collected from the solar lights they had in their communities. And not only that, like they had more solar powered lights in their healthcare centers now and also in like their schools. So what that tells us is that 
you know, like um, it's hard to quantify totally what the impact is, but for the community to value it in the sense that they actually got more lights for other parts of their community and they're able to build a farm which now sustains like the base of the community. For us, that's quite a success. Wow, that's definitely a way bigger thing than just giving out lights, as you were saying. <laughs> I agree with that because you, you, you really change lives and that's really cool. Yeah. Okay, so now changing the topic a bit, I would like to talk about Facebook. Sure. <laughs> okay, so I was reading in this website where there was like an article explaining what um, the account managers do at Facebook. I was reading in your section that you are yeah. like you work in like in support of this Facebook social entrepreneurship award. So would you like to tell us a bit more about that because there was not that much info on it? Yeah, sure, definitely. So, so just to take a step back, I guess. So my main role at Facebook is I was an account manager and my main goal was to really support businesses across Southeast Asia and the Philippines and how they can grow their market and reach their customers. But because of that skill set, I realized that I could really put this to good use working with social entrepreneurs and really helping people with impact, scale their impact as well. So with a couple of other account managers and other people on Facebook, the Social Entrepreneurship Award was built out. So to tell you a bit more about this, it's been running since about 2017, and it's a partnership with, an with a wonderful organization called One Young World, which is there to really support young people as well in their impact projects. So we've conducted awards for the past two years, and in a nutshell, what it is, is it provides Facebook mentorship from VPs and directors and also marketing support with about $100,000 in ad credits to 10 social entrepreneurs in the One Young World community who are using innovative technology and solutions to help people around the world. So to give you an example, um, oh wait, so yeah, so to give you an example, um, of some of the initiatives we've supported here. It's, we've supported some organizations in bringing access to clean water across Southeast Asia, um, improving child literacy rates in India, and even capacity building for women entrepreneurs through workshops, through connections, through platforms in sub-Saharan Africa. So there are these different businesses that focus on all these different things. But I guess like on Facebook's end, and the reason why we were able to make it successful these last two years is that it was a way for us to really engage the Facebook community and the different teams that, you know, have all of these amazing skills and talents and knowledge and just want to share it with other people as well. So it's one way to get more people involved in the social entrepreneur space, I guess. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So uh, that, that was really cool. So now... Going back to uh, 1 million lights, uh, I would like to talk about your first big partnership you made yeah. uh, with Energizer. So tell us yes. a bit more about how, how that occurred. I mean, that was your first big partnership and you, I, I can imagine you were very, very excited about that idea. You, <laughs> you at that moment felt like, I mean, the doors were opening for your organization. So tell us about that exciting journey. Yeah, sure. Thanks, man. <laughs> You've coined it perfectly. Like, it was such a crazy time for us. We were in our senior year of high school. We had all these different requirements. I was playing football. I was part of debate. And all of a sudden, we have this massive opportunity to really grow something. So, well, I just want to give you a brief background as well. So, the year before the Energizer partnership was our first project ever. 
So it's a project for about 250 solar lights to two communities in a rural island in the Philippines. It took us seven months to plan that project. And at this point, this is the turning point where we said, okay, we don't just want to do a project for the weekend, like for, for the summer, we want to really build this into an organization. And we were working at that time with an organization in the US that was also called One Million Lights. So they were like our mother organization at that time. I see. And they invited us to apply for this grant from Energizer, which they were doing for their other locations. So it was really crazy because we applied for this. We essentially had to put a proposal together in one month to help over 50 communities the following year, so in like seven, eight months. So why was this crazy for us? So if you could imagine from taking seven months to plan one project, yeah, we now had to plan definitely. more than and in before that, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to make this no, question. Yeah. Before that, did you have like this uh, two dates or, you know, you had to deliver results to someone or you were just working by your own timeline, your own yeah due dates and all of that? Yeah, well, for the proposal, we did have a, we had, we did have a time frame because the organization in the U.S. was about to present mm -hmm. the Energizer as well. No. So that was the due date we were fighting with. But if you're asked, wondering like how, how we worked at that time, you're all in your own time as well. And we're, we're, I, I guess that we could have split out. We did all 50 projects in the span of three months or two months, two to three months. And, and that's why we had to rush so much. And it was so funny because like people, like a lot of our partners were asking, why do we have to rush this? And our response was, because we're going to university next year. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you and wouldn't be able to... Yeah, dedicate that much yeah. time to it. Yeah, so it was crazy for us because we had to scale this fast. But more than that, we had to build out a team. At this point, we were maybe five people working on the project, and we knew that we couldn't do this with five people. Like we needed, we needed more people to help us with anything from documentation to logistics. But more than that, like even if we built a really good youth team, we still couldn't do it alone. So it was fun because we started working with multiple strategic partnerships across the Philippines from logistics providers who could ship our lights to the communities to community builders who could help us integrate to the communities better and youth groups from around the Philippines as well who could work with us like later on. So I guess it was exciting because like we spent all this time building this machinery and you realize afterwards, wow, we have partners all around the Philippines now. If I want to do projects now, all I need are more resources. If I have a corporate donor, if I have some donations, within two weeks, three weeks, I can now push it to a community that needs it. And for us, that's why it was worth it, because it allowed us to do so much more later on, because it forced us to essentially build an organization in such a short period of time. Yeah, to keep growing, right? And it's, it's such an interesting thing that you say that you did. Hi there. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. We just wanted to let you know that we are on social media at we are GCM and don't hesitate to follow us. And if you'd like to support us further, we also have a Patreon page. Type in global change makers and decide which tier is best for you. Thank you. And now, on with the rest of the episode. That project in a very short time. Okay, that, that's that's really cool. Um, so now I like to 
ask you something about the the impact again like going back to the first question sure. but yeah. asking you about more details like what aspects of life of people do you think are really impacted by by the yeah by your organization yes okay great so thanks for those questions in terms of the impact we're seeing in communities um I guess like it's it's helpful to understand what these people go go through, and if you think about it, over a billion people in this world don't have lighting in their homes, so they go home every day and rely on the yellowish flickering light of a toxic kerosene lamp to light up their homes. And if you think about it, it's like having one small candle that emits a lot of fumes into your home, lighting up your home for everyone. Sometimes you have a lot of newborns there. Sometimes you have not just like a small family, but your extended family there. And the entire household is expected to live off that light. So what are the impacts for this? Um, the most obvious one, I guess, is health. And with health, <coughs> excuse me, with health, um, the fumes of four hours of kerosene lamps, which is the main source of lighting for these communities, is the same as smoking two packs of cigarettes every day. And yeah, so imagine from the moment you're born, you're smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. And That's very delicate, yeah. Aren't just, yeah, not just bad for your lungs, like they give you headaches as well. And when people, the time that people use this the most is when they're taking care of the elderly because they need lights to show people around. And also when they're newborns or the kids in the house. So if you think about it, those are probably the worst times to use a kerosene lamp. Yeah. And like you're on the risk of burning your house down if that lamp falls down and all of these different things. So health is the one place where we improve quality of life a lot. The next two are education and livelihood. So education because it allows kids to actually study when the sun goes down. And it's not, I mean, they could have studied before with like a kerosene lamp. But what we hear is that in these communities, a lot of kids it makes it easier for them to study at night. So they're more likely to do so because it's not painful to study anymore. And more than that, it's now cheaper because they don't have to pay for a kerosene lamp to be able to read their books at night. Livelihood wise, so like in terms of like, let's say if they're farming or if they're making handicrafts, it essentially gives them extra hours during the day so that they can earn more money or actually do more work so that they can spend more of the day with their families and stuff. Um, apart from farming, we see this in fishing communities as well, where people bring our lights onto fishing boats because it allows them to attract more fish to the surface. Kind of interesting, right? Mm -hmm. So apart from that, it's really just about quality of time and allowing people to have a more relaxing environment wherever yeah, they are in the Philippines. Sure. It's maybe sometimes when you think about lighting homes, you don't get to think about this impactful stuff, right? Yeah, definitely not. It and really improves their life like a lot. It's like a 180 yeah. degree turn for them. Oh, really cool. So now I want to make you a question that might be related with your volunteers. This question is related to how much are the youth actually awaking, you know, to be involved in their national oh, issues. Okay. And also this other question about you know, that they say that millennials only support <laughs> what is trending at the moment. So do you feel like, uh, how could we come to this equilibrium where youth are going to not only support what is trending, but also to maintain the support on that when it is no longer talk on social media? 
Yeah, wow. Those are actually really good questions. And just stop me <laughs> if I go too long in this, because this actually one of <laughs> like this is actually something I'm really passionate about. Okay, so in terms of like um if I think it's important for youth to be involved, right, in community building. I think so. And the main reason for this is because young people are the ones with really, really crazy ideas and aren't afraid to take risks. If you think about it, your biggest challenge generally is going to school and finishing school or whatever drama you have there as well. So the thing is that young people are willing to use their energy in ways that older folks may not. Just because older people, for one, maybe they don't have the, they have a lot more opportunity costs to do that. They maybe aren't willing to do it or maybe they just don't have the energy or time to do it anymore on like younger people. Apart from this, it's, it's, I guess, like young people are more willing to take risks or be a bit more experimental as well. And uh, I think that's something interesting. So you made this point a while ago, though, about how, like, just especially with social media now, people may be supporting things just for the sake of just saying something without taking action, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess I see this in two ways. So for one, for people who are just... So, like, I've... I've had a very weird view on this in the past few years, but recently, like, I've had a more optimistic or positive view. So, for one, like, publicity in itself is, is not bad, right? Like, um, it's raising awareness for different causes. And maybe this is a controversial thing to say, but, like, like when people say that, why are you supporting cause X when cause Y is a bit more important? I don't exactly subscribe to that because I know that a lot of things are important and people are working on all these problems, right? Um, one thing that's important for me, though, is that when people support something, they're able to sustain it. And if they're not passionate about what they're supporting, it's very hard for that to be sustained. Uh -huh. So I guess like when people are young, what's important is that they're exposed to as many different things as possible. Yeah. And like we've had that suspicion that some of our volunteers are just here because it's the new in cool thing to travel to the Philippines and help people around. But what we found out is that some of these people have become super integral parts of our team, like very important people in our team. <laughs> and with me saying this in the podcast, I'm pretty sure that when this comes out, my team is going to ask, so who did you think just joined for fun? But yeah, like um, the thing is like the work takes a lot of effort, right? A lot of sacrifice. And if people are willing to stay for that, generally it's what will awaken them. And it's funny because you bring these people to communities and they have a very, you know, top line view of what you're doing, but bringing them there and really exposing them to what's there is what will actually make them realize that they can do so much more for people there. Yeah, it was actually our first project that made me realize that there's so much I could do here. Yeah, like trying to just get involved into initiatives that will bring you not only uh well-being right your mental yes, exactly. health let's say but also you're gonna you know find new friends and feel involved yeah. in a cause and maybe it's gonna grow and you're gonna be part of it so that's yeah. gonna be nice yeah exactly because like it yeah and that's a really good point because like a lot of people think that when you work for an mpo you're very selfless that everything you do needs to be a sacrifice but I mean, that's definitely not the case. Like, you'll have the biggest, like, the same way that the most successful companies are the happiest companies. I think the most successful NPOs as well are the ones that have a lot of fun in the process of doing things because that's what allows people to stay and become more creative and do things that they otherwise wouldn't have done. Yeah, because actually, I think you're going to agree with this, but enjoying like the process is very important as, you know, reaching the main goal, right? 
yeah because they, they say that reaching the main goal is not as, as exciting as you thought it would be because you <laughs> probably thought it was gonna be such an amazing feeling and all of that but what actually matters is that you enjoy the process so now i i think that there are many listeners out there who are you know just not involved into initiatives but, but maybe are thinking about starting their own initiatives yes. so what would be like an extremely important advice you would give to these people who are you know trying to get out of their comfort zone and actually to create to bring that idea to life so thanks for that question so i guess like in terms of the best advice i can give in terms of where people want to start it's it's it, it's really about it's really about thinking about what you're actually passionate about. So, and the reason why I say this is from that last conversation we had is that things are going to be trying a lot of times and there will be a lot of people who may not really support you or say a lot of things about what you're doing. And that passion is really important because you can build on that and you can make it more of a vocation afterwards. So instead of it just being, I'm doing this because I feel good about it right now, it will become something like going to the gym regularly where you feel that it's something you need in order to, you know, live the life in, in a sort of balance. Mm -hmm. And I guess like when you have that conviction, other people can see that and it allows you to inspire other people to come in, which is, I think like something that's very important. And sometimes people forget about this. There are some people in like, if you look at the field today, like a lot of people who are successful, are there because their job or their nonprofit isn't because someone told them to do it, right? It's because they wanted to do it and they're willing to commit to it. So it's not just about being passionate when things are good, but to commit and really be there for both good and bad times. And I guess the advice I can give here is that when things are hard, those are actually the moments that will either tell you, this is what I really want to do, or maybe I'll do something else. But the way to figure that out isn't to quit right there. It's actually to power through that incident and make that decision afterwards. Because what you'll usually find is after that entire trying process, that's where you feel the most fulfilled. That's when you're actually the happiest because you've actually done something that you didn't think you could do before. It's like reaching the summit, right? Yeah, it's trying exactly. so hard. And, you know, when you get yeah. there, it's very fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, it's like reaching the summit and then riding down on a, mount on, on a mountain bike. So it's not like a horrible way down. It's actually enjoyable as well. Um, with that being said, though, like in terms of advice I can give, so it's like really find something you can commit to, something that interests you, and it's actually something that grows over time. It's not like you'll be at peak level right away. But more than that, to really amplify that, I guess like something that's really important for starting your own initiative is really about building is like really about building a very strong and dedicated team. Like a team you can rally around you that can really push when you don't have the power to push as well. And if you look at our nonprofit at One Million Lights, um, everyone, like our core team is essentially a volunteer team. We had one guy who loved working on operations and building spreadsheets and talking to communities. I love fundraising and just talking and meeting people. We had someone who liked managing volunteers. And we had other people who liked doing exactly the same thing as me, but had very different styles. Mm -hmm. And it was, I guess, that diversity that allowed us to do things that we otherwise wouldn't have done. Because we fought a lot with each other. But that's what, I guess, like, I wouldn't say the best, but like that's what gave us like a very good model for the future of like 
what things should look like. Yeah, and essentially I started with my best friends, I guess, and I was in a debate tournament and we were just all so fed up about some issues and we were thinking, you know, like during a debate round, you're so passionate about something, you're really fighting for it. And then afterwards, you're like, yeah, okay, next, on to the next issue, right? <laughs> and then what happened was we started saying, what can we do to help people? And we started brainstorming, brainstorming. And I said, well, what about like providing solar to communities? And like some people laughed, other people were like, oh, why not? And then in the next few days, you'd have people reach out and say, hey, I, I like this idea. How can we scale this? What can we do? And mm -hmm. that's how our team started to form. Cool. So now the question would be more about how to maintain an organization, especially an MPO, if you can uh, take any advice from your organization because this last question was about you know the people that would like to start their own, own yeah. organization but now the people that are already on that journey and are maybe struggling to maintain the NPO what advice would you give to them so so that's a good question and I think it might be different for other organizations because how to maintain depends on what the org structure is like right And for us, um, the way we work is we leverage heavily on external partners to help us with different things. So to give you an idea, our core team is consists of about five five core team volunteers who don't work on it full time. So like I'm at I, I'm at a startup now. I did Facebook before. Another person's in an incubator. Other people are in consulting. Some are in finance. So we all have these different backgrounds and we have a full-time employee in the Philippines who helps us like put things together. So for us, like the way that we were able to maintain is really figure out ways that we could scale impact and really leverage the communities around us. So for an organization where you're very lean, I guess, one thing you can do to really maintain like your energy levels and really grow the organization is try to think about the strategic partnerships that make a lot of sense for you. So for us, for example, um, we work with communities in 35 provinces around the country. We need people who are on the ground who can help us there. So we look at Rotary clubs and we look at like church groups. We look at local governments that are willing to help us. And we build these partnerships in the sense that if I need a community in one province in the Philippines, I can talk to one person who can connect me to 50 communities in that area. And then we have our logistics partners, people who can bring our lights to the communities as well. We have the technology partners. And of course, we have the donors as well. So for us, it was like, I guess for the past few years, instead of it just being, how can we get the most lights in communities? It was, how can we build the most partnerships with different people and organizations around the Philippines and around the world as well? And it was that idea of partnership building that, and it's really strange because like, the more partnerships you build, the less work you actually have to do later on. And you become more of a connector. And I guess that's where our organization really thrives because we're able to connect the dots a lot simpler in terms of this donor wants something in this province. I have someone here who can do something in this province. And I have the perfect technology for this community. So I guess that's what helped us a lot. It was really just about building good partnerships. Building the partnerships is like yeah. the advice maybe to you know open that next doors that are yeah. okay that's really cool so as the last question mark um we would like to know a piece of advice you would give to someone who's maybe out there just wondering in what type of 
volunteer program to enroll or maybe they have never done volunteering before they are just trying to mm -hmm. look you know yeah. for inspiration or who to help but they don't know what to do so what would be like a piece of advice you would give to them yeah okay so that's a good question so like for one it, so like part of that advice is looking for something you're passionate about right like you don't just want to do something because someone told you to do something but more than that we know that passion is something that you can build over time right so some advice that i might have for someone who's just about to start and doesn't know where to go it's really just to explore as much as possible um there are various websites you could look at different facebook groups like opportunity desk there's also um organizations like make sense from france but have hotspots all around the world as well and the idea is like really just try to reach out to different organizations that interest you so this isn't as structured as i wanted to say but yeah so the idea is like try to figure out what are the things you're interested in and after that who are the main organizations or not even the main organizations, who are the people you know that are doing things in these different fields? And maybe like if you have, let's say six weeks to figure out something out, or if you have a summer coming up, try to see like if you could do things for all of these different organizations. And the idea is the ones that pique your interest, continue to work with them. And over time, you'll see that your passion for one will be stronger than the passion for another. And that's how you could continue to build that out as well. So just trying, let's say it like this, random things and really right. find out what, which one do you like, but which one do you identify yeah. the most and then just exactly. keep working on that. Yeah, just so like, essentially it's try, yeah. So it's try, every, it's try everything and look for things everywhere as well. Yeah, like go out there and yeah. don't be afraid to try new things, right? Yeah, what I found <laughs> funny as well is that we've had some people um, go to our projects and then essentially start something off in a completely different thing, like in healthcare or in education. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, I thought you wanted to do solar lights. And they'll say, yeah, but after visiting your community, seeing what we were doing there, that was more interesting for me. So, so it's kind of interesting. So it's like you go into one thing, but it opens your doors to all these different things as well. Yeah. Like when you're solving a problem, you find more problems that are very interesting to yeah. maybe solve yeah. someday in the future. Yeah, but that's where the joy comes from, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so thank you so much, Mark. This was a very interesting interview. I really enjoyed it. So I hope that you get to share it when it goes out on the Definitely. web. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Have a nice day. Thanks, Thanks for this one. Yeah, this is great. Sure. If you'd like to know more about Global Changemakers and our mission of enabling youth to create a positive impact in their communities, you can visit our website at global-changemakers.net or follow us on social media at WeAreGCM. And if you'd like to support us further, go check out our Patreon page at Global Changemakers and help us have a greater impact. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Young Changemakers. See you next Tuesday.